Hello and welcome to episode three of States of Matter, the podcast from the Institute of Refrigerations, Women in RACHP. I'm Karen Perry, current chair of the network, and as always here with me to co-host is Lisa Jane Cook. Hi, Karen. Hi, Beth. Hello. Um, As we continue our theme discussing and addressing subjects affecting the industry's women, this episode we welcome Bev Thorogood, owner and founder of Floresco Training. Since 2018, Bev has worked with businesses across all sectors to help raise awareness of menopause as a workplace topic. I was lucky enough to join Floresco Menopause Awareness Training with my company earlier this year with Bev and the engagement and the questions not only from women but also from male leaders and managers was phenomenal. Bev, welcome. Hello, thank you very much for having me. So many hours you've researched the impact of menopause on working women. I can feel now the conversation really is much more open and mainstream, but I know we've also got a long way to go. Before we talk about menopause in the workplace, could you give us a brief explanation of what menopause and perimenopause is? Yeah, absolutely. I think the two sometimes get confused. Um, So menopause literally just means the stopping of our period. So it's the end of our menstrual cycle. And it's kind of a diagnostic line in the sand that the medical profession would use. So they'd look at, they'd ask the question, have you had a period for the last 12 months so generally speaking it's diagnosed as being period free for 12 consecutive months that's not always easy to know so if somebody's taking contraception or if they've had a hysterectomy the the womb has been removed they won't be having periods so it's not always an easy diagnosis Uh, perimenopause it, it literally means around the time of menopause and it's the lead up to the point where we no longer have periods so it's when the ovaries begin their their journey towards sort of shutting down, I guess. So it's generally around four to five years before we reach menopause, but it could be up to 10 or 12. And it's the point where the the hormones start to fluctuate and become a bit erratic as eggs are released less regularly. So in reality, when we're talking about the impact of menopause on women, what we're really talking about is the impact of the fluctuations in hormones during perimenopause. Just with regards to kind of the workplace, really, and what can companies be aware of of symptoms that women may suffer from, but also how they can support? I think that's a huge question, isn't it? So I think, first of all, businesses need to to acknowledge that menopause is something that affects 100% of the women in their workplace at some point in their lives. So acknowledging that this is a, a real phase in every woman's life that may have an impact and and I say may because not everybody will be impacted negatively as they go through so I think from a business point of view first of all it's about acknowledging and understanding what the implications of menopause are Um, you mentioned symptoms there are numerous symptoms uh, depending on who you read or what you read it's anywhere between 34 right up to sort of 70 I like to think around about 40 Uh, common symptoms I say common some less common than others but I think businesses need to be aware that the range of symptoms that can happen as a result of those hormonal changes can be wide-ranging everything from sort of physical symptoms like hot flushes fatigue joint aches heart palpitations urinary tract infections muscle cramps right through to sort of cognitive sort of brain fog symptoms, so concentration problems, short-term memory issues, think things like word recall, not being able to remember the word you want to use. And I guarantee you at some point in this chat, I will forget the word I want to use, right through to certainly emotional and psychological. So a lot of women find that their anxiety levels go up. They become a bit more emotionally dysregulated. They can have mood swings but also depression and low mood, a loss of joy, lethargy. So there's a vast range of symptoms. I think businesses, first and foremost, have to recognise that these are real symptoms for women and then kind of put in place measures to enable those that are experiencing the symptoms to be able to ask for the help that they need and to enable their managers to understand what's going on So they can offer the help and provide the help that might be needed. And most of the time, that help is quite simple. The the symptoms, I mean, Karen and I are are both of a certain age as well. (laughs) So we completely get that. And something that I didn't realise until I joined, I've joined a local uh, menopause support group. So I'm now talking with other women in my community. And 
with you know the age range is massive um and there was a lady there who was in her 80s that said she still has symptoms to me that was absolutely shocking I've I've not spoken or nobody's approached this subject with me before it's something that I've gone out and obviously it, it is gaining some traction now but sort of done some research myself but I had no idea that you could suffer for that amount of time yeah so most women don't to be honest most will come through this sort of period of fluctuating hormones then everything will settle down the hormones will sort of uh, stabilize they'll they'll remain low we we won't be producing them in the same um, amounts and for most women normally a few years post menopause they will settle down and everything will be fine but for a small number of women yeah the, the the symptoms may well continue it tends to be things like urinary issues um hot flushes so those they call them the vasomotor symptoms that kind of internal internal temperature gauge can go a little bit wonky and for some women it, it does last a lot longer there's i would also say though there's um an element of lifestyle will have an impact so you know uh, what we eat how much we move and exercise our sleep patterns our stress levels also how we think and feel about getting older will all have an impact on those symptoms so there's lots of reasons why symptoms might continue that have a bit less to do with hormone uh hormones dropping and a little bit more to do with perhaps our lifestyle and our um I guess our, our mindset around things so actually I suppose that's quite a good argument for promoting a healthy lifestyle at work as well so not not just obviously for us as women but if you can offer a fruit bowl in the kitchen or you know a free gym membership or even you know a walking club at lunch times that will help yeah. alleviate some of the symptoms for people it will if people take it up <laughs> and of course that's that's the problem it's encouraging people to recognize that it's it menopause is a stage in life it's it, it they call it you know a bit archaic sometimes to call it the change but in reality it is a major change our uh, biological makeup is changing so we I think we can find that we can't get away with some of the poorer lifestyle habits that we had when we were younger because our body isn't able to kind of manage those uh, poor habits as well as it could when we're younger so there's obviously a a natural aging process going on here as well I think the, the again it comes down to kind of the education around why it's important to eat well what and what eating well actually looks like because I think there's so many fads out there and quite extreme diets that people think they have to dive into but in reality it's about eating good natural foods whole foods avoiding ultra processed foods getting plenty of sort of natural um, nutritional fats a lot of times we don't eat enough protein and fat so all of this will help as will movement and exercise and it doesn't have to be going down to the gym you know like you mentioned Lisa uh, Lisa Jane it could just be getting out and walking more but people won't do things unless they know that there's a benefit and it's a tangible benefit that they'll see straight away and I think that's the big problem with lifestyle a lot of people go down the HRT route for their menopause which I'm a huge fan of I'm I'm not against HRT I take it myself and it's been a game changer but it's not a sticking plaster or rather it is I guess it is a sticking plaster it's not a a silver bullet you kind of got to look at the whole lifestyle issue and HRT is a tool that we can add to having a, a healthier life but it's not in place of all of those other factors that are really so important but I think workplaces can certainly do a lot to create an environment where it's easier to 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 make those better habits but you've also got to almost encourage and educate the reasons why it's important to do that and that's the tougher that's the tougher job isn't it I think to also appreciate that everyone is different and are going to experience it differently as well I know myself and Lisa Jane both enjoy going to the gym but a lot of people actually yeah would find it difficult to even go out for a walk and I think you can't just expect that everyone can right go to the gym it's going to make you feel better it's understanding that and having those conversations rather than just assuming that's right for everyone 
Yeah, there is no one size fits all. You're absolutely right. And actually, everybody's experience of the menopause transition will be unique as well. And we've all got our own biological limitations that we might have. So, you know, some people might actually go into the gym might be really uncomfortable for a lot of people. But going out, and, you know, getting into a swimming pool and swimming might be ideal. So I think we've got to be wary of giving a sort of a blanket. This is this is what good health looks like. It's it's much more nuanced than that. But I think it's, at the root of it is it's about understanding and encouraging the the benefits and and making it easy for people to to find ways to improve their health. You touched on HRT. Yeah. So like I say, this is just the sort of beginning of my journey. So could you explain a little bit about, I suppose, the delivery of it? So how how you take that? And is it something that you'll take for the rest of your life or is it just for a short period of time? Okay, this is quite a big subject. So there are lots of different types of HRT, lots of different applications. You can sort of take it as a tablet, combined tablet. You can take it as a, a, a patch through the skin, what's known as transdermal application. So it, it's going straight through the skin into the bloodstream. And that can be through a patch or a gel or a spray. Uh, so there's lots and lots of different types and different ways of application. And very much it comes down to personal preference as to what feels best. And also some people will um, absorb better through the skin. Some people won't absorb well through the skin and they'll find it better to take um, oral HRT. In general, most women will need a combination of estrogen and progesterone, which are two of our key sex hormones that decrease in in, um, perimenopause. For women who've had a hysterectomy, who don't have a womb, they don't need to take progesterone. They only need to take the estrogen. Progesterone is given to protect the lining of the womb because when you take estrogen only, it can create a buildup of um, endometrium. Uh, in in the in the lining of the womb so is uh, try and keep this as simple as possible without going into huge detail generally speaking hrt is safe for the vast majority of women i think a lot of times women avoid hrt because of perceived risk with breast cancer which came as a result of some studies that were carried out in the early 2000s the late 1990s early 2000s that um, drew a, a link between HRT and breast cancer. A lot of those studies have been sort of reviewed and reanalyzed and and the findings have been not completely refuted, but they were certainly um, recognized that some of the the risks were over-exaggerated, perhaps. So in reality, the risk for breast cancer is very, very small. It's about an extra four cases per thousand. So very, very small in, in real terms. And when we think about risk, we also need to put that risk in perspective. So women tend to carry risks for breast cancer just because we're women. The older we get, our risk goes up, whether we take HRT or not. When we think about using HRT, the risk compared to things like drinking alcohol, carrying extra body weight, stress, smoking, all of these things carry a greater risk. Uh, for breast cancer than than HRT. Sometimes we're not made aware of the fact that while we take HRT, we actually have some health benefits. So estrogen in particular is heart protective, brain protective and bone protective. So as we go through perimenopause and we lose those natural hormones, we are at a greater risk of things like heart disease, um, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's. So while we're taking HRT, there's a protective element to our heart our bones and we believe our brains as well the the studies haven't fully been researched around the the long-term benefit to to brain health but in in reality if we weigh up the benefits versus the risks in the vast majority of cases the the benefits outweigh the small risk and the benefits to quality of life for most women are huge. I talk to a lot of women who say, you know, taking HRT has given me my life back. It's given me my confidence back. I don't feel like I'm losing the plot. I don't feel like I'm, uh, you know, my brain isn't working anymore. I feel like I can function. And that's a huge, you know, that's a huge thing for many women. We're under so much pressure as women these days with 
full-time jobs, full-time careers, leadership management positions, caring for elderly relatives. There's so much going on for women as they go through their perimenopause transition. Sometimes just having that little bit of extra help from HRT can be a big, big benefit. To your question, Lisa Jane, how long can you stay on it? There's no reason to come off it if it's doing you well and you're fit and healthy. There used to be a, a kind of an arbitrary five-year limit imposed on how long you can take um, HRT. But for many of us, our, our menopause transition takes longer than five years. So to only give us that treatment for five years and then take us off it means that many of our symptoms that were being managed may return because they're no longer being managed. So nowadays, the, the NICE guidelines, which we have NICE guidelines for menopause, say that there isn't, a, you know, GPs shouldn't be dictating a time scale. So for many women, they'll choose to stay on it indefinitely. And some will continue well into their sort of 80s, 90s, as long as they want to. We don't know yet the the, the real longer term risks that the studies haven't been done to show what the risks are if you're on it for sort of 15, 20, 25 years. But when you're making that decision, you're weighing up, well, actually, while I'm taking it, I'm protecting my bones, my brain and my heart. So is that risk a balanced risk? Is it what I'm worth that I'm, I'm willing to take? Thank you. That, that was really interesting, actually, like I, I don't know a lot about it. And I, I would have to assume that a lot of our listeners are probably in a similar situation. Mm. I only really learned yesterday about with bone deterioration as well, which of course yes. makes sense when you talk about it and you talk about the hormones that you are losing. But yeah, yeah, I think things like that you don't really think about, which actually does start to improve the benefits that people might think of HRT in a more positive way, because it certainly has had quite a bad rap in the past, hasn't it? It has. History? It has. I think ultimately, though, it comes down to personal choice. And I, I think, unfortunately, in the past, women have been a little bit damned if they do and damned if they mm. don't. There'll be a, a part of the, the female community who will say, oh, you shouldn't need that. You should be able to get through this. You know, you, you're not what's wrong with you if you have to resort to taking hormones, which isn't helpful because everybody is going to have a completely different experience of menopause. And for some, it is a lifesaver. And then on the flip side of that, you've got the the HRT, um, almost the sort of evangelists who can't really understand why anybody would not want to take it. But we're all different. We all have different belief systems. We all have different experiences. And I think for me, it's more about educating to the facts around menopause, putting the risks in perspective so that individuals can make an absolutely informed choice. And whatever their choice is, is absolutely fine because it's their choice and it's right for them without feeling under pressure to go one way or the other. And I think that's probably the most important bit about HRT is do your research and do what's right for you. There is so much research out there now and there's people very much in the mainstream talking about menopause um but one of those is about I, I guess approaching your doctor or your GP if you did think that you were at that stage what's the best way and, and the best way to get out what's right for you as well yeah this this is a bit of a minefield because unfortunately whilst there are some brilliant GPs out there there are also quite a few who really aren't up to date with modern management of menopause so it is a little bit of a postcode lottery, whether you get a good response or a bad response from your GP. I think the best way to go about giving yourself the best chance of getting the result that you want or the outcome that you want is to take responsibility for what it is you are looking for. That means doing some research, finding good sources of information. And there's, you're, you're absolutely right, Karen, there's a huge amount of information out there around menopause. Not all of it is very accurate not all of it is great quality but people like the British Menopause Society website is a great source Liz Earle her podcast is a great research source of information Dr Louise Newson and the Balanced Menopause website really great sources of information so educating yourself so you know what the options are making a note of your symptoms I think is really important not just uh, you know, in the last couple of days, but maybe keep it a, a journal or keep a track of your symptoms over maybe a month, six weeks, because they do tend to come and go. And I think for a lot of women, they think I've had this symptom, but now it's gone. Oh, maybe I won't make a fuss. But when they track back and they look back over six or eight weeks, maybe they see that that symptom is coming up, you know, quite frequently. But you do forget what you've had. So keeping a track 
is really useful. The Balance app from Liz, Louise Newson does do that for you. So it's a free app. You can download it quite easily from you know Android or Apple. Um, and it allows you to track your symptoms. You can actually print off a report of your symptoms and your cycle to take to the GP. And there's something that that just gives a layer of credibility, I guess, to what you're talking about, knowing that that report has been printed off from a GP-led application sort of app. But I think it's also important to know what the options are. So if HRT is something that you want to ask for, have a good idea in your mind, having researched what it is you want. So if I, I knew right from the start that I didn't want to take oral um, HRT, I didn't want to be taking tablets. I wanted a transdermal application. I knew I wanted it to be natural and not synthetic. So I knew what I, what I wanted when I went into the GP. Take your notes in with you, because if you're a menopausal woman, chances are you'll forget why you're there. And you'll probably get emotional and not know, you know, miss something. So take it in with you. Take either the the balance report or your your notebook in with you and read from it if need be so you don't miss anything. But I think it it really starts with being being prepared. Do your research before you go. Don't expect the GP to tell you what you need because you know your body better than they do. Having done your research you've got a much better chance of convincing the GP that you know what you're talking about, that you've weighed up the risks and the the, the benefits and that you're making an informed choice. That said, I know many women who do exactly that and still find that they they leave their GP appointment feeling unheard, feeling like they've been dismissed and not coming out with the outcome that they want. In that sort of situation, I would say find a different GP you know, you, there's no reason why you can't ask for an opinion from a different GP. Often it's worth ringing the surgery and saying, who in the surgery has done extra training for menopause? Who's your menopause specialist? Sometimes it'll be the, the practice nurse. It might not always be the GP. And if you don't get anywhere with your own surgery, maybe worth looking at a, a different practice. I do know that a lot of women find that even though they've gone through all of that, they still end up finding that they've got to go and pay privately, which is so wrong. We shouldn't be having to pay privately for what is effectively a life stage that everybody's going to go through. But unfortunately, some do find that even with their best sort of preparation, they still don't get a good result and they they have to pay for it. Again, it's sort of it's brought me back around to that question so we we go through this and every every woman goes through this. This is a part of our, our life. And you talked earlier about, you know, all the things that we have to do as, as women in this modern society. So we have full time jobs. You know, we might still be mums of caring for elderly people. So it obviously it does have a large impact on quite a few different aspects of our lives as well. So how do we approach this in the workplace? Because especially in our industry, and Karen will back me up here, we are still very much male dominated. So women make up about 4% of our industry. So it's, it's a bit of an alien topic mm-hmm. um, in our workplaces. So how would we approach that with our uh, managers or you know HR teams? Yeah, I think it starts with just being open and not making the assumption that just because somebody's a man, maybe a male manager that they won't understand or they won't want to hear. It may be uncomfortable. Um, You know, we're talking about a subject that historically we haven't talked about. But if we continue not to talk about it, it remains a taboo. So I think it has to start with having the conversation and not being frightened to. But there's a there's a layer, almost a step back from that, whereby businesses and organisations need to set the standard that the expectation that if somebody does open up about what they're going through, they're not going to be disadvantaged in any way. So it almost needs the senior leadership to start the the process of saying, look, in our company, we recognize that menopause is a real thing. Maybe that they, they offer training to managers. It may be that they create a policy or guidance, or they have, you know, some sort of communications channel within the workplace to open up the conversation so that when somebody does have a a personal issue, they've already kind of, they're already aware that, okay, in in our organization, I know from what I've seen that it's okay for me to ask for help. Because if 
if somebody doesn't feel safe to ask, then they're not going to ask. And there's something about keeping it to yourself that seems to exacerbate symptoms. Stress massively exacerbates symptoms. So if you're stressed about, if I don't, if I open up about this, am I going to be discriminated in some way? Am I going to be disadvantaged? Am I going to be laughed at? Am I going to be dismissed? Or, you know, are my symptoms going to be kind of invalidated and, and belittled? You've almost got to kind of break that taboo at a cultural organizational level to enable somebody to feel comfortable opening up about it. And it's difficult when you've only got 4% females in there, but let's not forget that means that 96% of your workforce are male. And the vast majority of those will probably have female partners, but they will 100% of them will have interaction with women who are perimenopausal or menopausal at some point in their life, whether that's sisters, mums, friends, colleagues, it impacts everybody. So at a so a personal level, sometimes we've got to, as women, be be courageous enough to to speak out and and ask for help. Because let's face it, our managers can't help us if they don't know there's a problem. So it's a bit of a two-way street. The the organization has to make it easy for women to open up and safe for them to open up. And as women, we've got to be courageous enough to say, actually. I do need a little bit of support and I can't get that if I don't tell somebody what I need. It's not a simple answer, is it? I think we're talking about, you know, centuries mm. of not talking about women's issues and we're wanting to try and turn that on its head overnight. It's it's not going to happen overnight, but we, the more we talk about it, the easier it becomes. And I think that has to start from women, even if we feel in the minority saying, look, I'm not ashamed of this. I'm not embarrassed about this, but I am having to deal with this and I need a bit of help. And it's bumping the road. It's not my whole career. I'm not, you know, I'm not being un unreasonable in asking for a little bit of support while I go through this small transition in, in what is in, in effect a small period of time in, in a, a woman's working career. I haven't really answered the question directly, have I? <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky enough to work in a company that have invested in mental health training, but also with the menopause awareness training. And I think the first time even a male colleague mentions menopause to you about someone in their team, you kind of, oh, a little bit. <laughs> and then you realise how important it is that actually we're having an open conversation about someone who needs some time out because they're unwell, needs some more support. And it, it's fantastic when that happens. Even though at first, you, yeah, you do kind of wonder, are you, are you just saying this to kind of, you know, accept it? But as I say, lucky within my company, I know Lisa Jane as well is heading up a lot of menopause awareness as well. But if your company doesn't have a policy or support in place, again, what's the best way to kind of go about that and approach it? Yeah, I think it, it's very similar to going and speaking to your GP. It's about doing your research, knowing what your difficulties are and knowing what you're struggling with thinking about what actually would make a difference. So, you know, sometimes it's quite simple things. It could be just environmental changes. So asking if you can have a different workstation, moving your desk from one place to another. So you've got a bit more fresh air or a bit, you know, access to sunlight or something like that. It could be as simple as asking, like, can I just have a plug-in desk fan? So I've got some local cooling and I'm not having to ask everybody to, you know, turn the air conditioning up or it could be you want me to wear this uniform and actually it's really uncomfortable when I have a hot flush is there any chance either I could have a couple of extra sets of uniforms so that if I do have a moment when I get really drenched in sweat because I've had a hot flush or worse still and you probably you know this is going to be an awkward conversation but flooding is very very common so you know breakthrough bleeding unexpected bleeding and, and flooding so knowing that you've got enough uniform to be able to go and change and not have to kind of ask every time if possible you know can I if I've had a really really bad night can I just can we just accept that I may need to call in and, and say can I work from home today or it might just be you know on the days when I've had a really bad night sleep which you know is very very common can I just come in a couple of hours late and make up that time later on instead of taking two 30 minute or 20 minute breaks in the day can I take more frequent five minute breaks just to go and get a bit of fresh air so actually the changes are quite minimal but they need to be individualized because 
with 40 different symptoms, what, what's impactful for one person will be different for another. So there can't be a one size fits all when somebody's menopausal, you do this for them because it doesn't really fit. There's too many variables. So I think going back to the question, what can you know, how do you approach a manager? Go in armed with what you want. And again, much like you can't expect the doctor to know what's the answers, we can't really expect our manager to have all of the answers because it's too nuanced. It's a little bit like mental health, isn't it? You've got to almost go in and say, look, these are the issues. This is what I think would help. Can we try this, please? And be, you know, being realistic in the expectations, but also working with your, your boss at the looking, I guess, at the art of the possible. What what can we do? I had a brilliant, um, I was I was doing some training for a school recently. And one of the big problems that teachers have is how do you leave a class full of pupils if you need to go and you know leave the room for a moment or two? It's difficult. And in their organization, they've now implemented a, a text message protocol. So the teacher can just text M. So they don't have to say what's going on. They just text the letter M to the main office and the main office will allocate somebody to go and relieve them from the class for five minutes or however long they need. Uh, it might take a few minutes for somebody to get to them, but they know that they don't have to kind of raise awareness. They don't have to stand in front of the class and say, ring, you know, ring a colleague and say, can you come and help me out? Cause I'm, I'm feeling menopausal. They could just text M. So I think sometimes it's about looking at, the the specific needs of the the area of responsibility that you're working in and thinking about what are the what are the tasks that we do that might be problematic and then kind of get working together with your boss working together with the the individual to find solutions that will help and there isn't a one size fits all people often say give me some practical measures that we can use when somebody's menopausal and I can, but it might not be right. A fan might not be of any use to somebody who's got anxiety because it's not a, you know, hot flushes isn't one of their symptoms. So this sort of one size fits all doesn't fit. I think it's it's really good as well to have these conversations because, as, as you mentioned before, it, it has been quite a taboo subject. And if we can talk about this openly, it's almost opening the door for other issues as well to be discussed so you know DNI is really really again really sort of something that's taking off in the workplace and we're understanding the value of having diverse teams and I think yeah I think that's probably one of the sort of the more hidden benefits as well like I said because it is such a taboo subject and again even like periods as well you know people still in this day and age you, you see especially sort of like younger people because you know as we get a bit older we care less but hiding the fact that they've taken sanitary products to the bathroom with them they might yeah. take their whole handbag rather than just grabbing something from yeah. your drawer and yeah walking off with it how so much easier though if there were just sanitary products available in well, the toilets to be, should, so you didn't have to do be. that so you could just go and and they were there I think it's one of those things again though isn't it that I guess people worry that it would be abused but then that brings the question you know if people were taking extra sanitary products from the bathrooms then perhaps you're not paying your staff enough to be able to afford those things in the first place. I think there's always the argument that you know do we do we penalize the majority for the minority who mm. might not play the game um, and I don't think you can do that. You know, you've got to work for the, ma the majority and the majority of people wouldn't abuse it. The majority of women who are menopausal don't take extra time off work or, or use menopause as an excuse. The majority of women will hide the fact. And, you know, presenteeism is as big a problem as absenteeism. So having people present when they're really not well enough to be or they, they're exhausted because they're, you know, they've not slept well, that's more of a problem than the ones who swing the lead around, you know, take using yeah. menopause as an excuse. I don't think the majority of women do. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And going back to your point, Lisa Jane, about sort of periods and things, I think more needs to be understood about and, and recognise that as women, we, we're biologically different to our male colleagues and we have a cycle that means that we we have highs and lows and we fluctuate. But that, you know, that we, we need to find ways to working that acknowledge that 
accommodate it, but don't make the assumption that because we're a little bit more complex, just get us out of the workplace. We can't cope with that extra complexity. We know from so many studies that have been done that having a diverse workforce benefits the organization. So let's work with our differences and find ways to almost exploit them in a, in a way that doesn't lead to physical or emotional burnout. So actually we're, we're keeping women in the workplace because we're supporting that difference, but we're still able to exploit the many benefits that women bring to the workplace because that without doing that, it's, it's very short-sighted. We know that diverse workforces perform better, they're, they're more profitable, they're, they're nicer places to work. So we, we kind of have to recognise that women just, we are different to men, different, not worse or better, just different. We have slightly different needs. And I think that would be such a, a shame because we, we know that we lose lots of women in their careers when they choose to have children then we have that next barrier of actually we lose women again and so sad when you do hear of someone that's had to give up work because of the menopause and maybe not had that support maybe symptoms are, are were not that they could continue to work as well but all those steps where we might lose women in in senior leadership positions as well um, yeah. that can make those diverse workforces yeah and we're losing huge numbers of women in their menopause transition at the point really where men and women are reaching almost, I don't want to say the peak of their career, because that suggests that it, it's on the decline after that. When we get into our 40s and, and possibly our early 50s, we're at the point where we've built up years of experience, years of skill, years of knowledge, and men can continue to bring that knowledge and, and skill to the table. And because of a lack of support in some areas, not always, we're seeing those women falling off the, the career ladder and it's very very difficult then to get back on it when you're you know heading towards 60 we know ageism, ageism still exists we, we we might have a law that says it shouldn't but we know it does and actually if you take a career break during your menopause transition your chances of getting back into into the workplace at the same level are probably pretty slim I would say what a loss that is to the world if we're losing that knowledge and that that wisdom so we need I guess to find a way to manage that transition so we don't lose that talent and it's, it's the mentors as well isn't it and and those that are going to change other people and and how we think about the menopause women's periods and that diversity so yeah I don't think there's an easy answer to any of this you know I certainly don't claim to have all of the answers I can see the the issues I don't have all the answers but the only way we can find the answers is to talk more about it mm -hmm. and, and become more aware of what those issues are so we can find solutions you've just sort of sparked a bit of a question for me so it's a bit random it's not one that we discussed before I believe I read something the other day that about the government are focusing more on women's health and they're bringing that topic forward something that they're going to be reviewing policies and guidelines. Have you heard anything about that? You know, is it something that's going to be looked at a bit more closely and, and yeah, you know, so companies guided? Yeah, so there is, do you know what? I should have had it in front of me because have, and I did say my menopausal brain would let me down at some <laughs> point in this thing. Yeah, there's the women's, there's a, a women's committee set up in parliament. Uh, Caroline Harris, the MP for Swansea is leading this uh, this committee looking at things like medical training for GPs to make sure that our medical practitioners are better aware and, and understand the issue of menopause, but also looking at menopause within the workplace, um, education around menopause. And it's driving me nuts because I know this so well that I can't remember the name of the actual committee. It's It's gone out of my brain. This is such a menopausal thing. But yes, there are certainly conversations being had in Parliament they're looking at things like the, the legal status of menopause within employment law. Should it be a protected characteristic? They're also looking at sort of whether they mandate policies for menopause within, within organisations. So, yeah, there, there's all sorts of things going on. They're also looking at things like making HRT more affordable for lots of women if they're maybe taking three or four different prescriptions if they don't have a prepaid certificate in England, they're paying 40 quid a month for their prescriptions. And again, it's a bit of a postcode lottery. So yeah, there is some a lot of good work. And, and if you um, look Caroline Harris up on 
Instagram, you'll see the work that she's doing in driving menopause forward. She's doing amazing stuff. Well, that that is good to hear, and it's encouraging. And and it's again, it's, it's a, sorry, it's another question that's just sort of popped into my mind. So, for example, like when you're pregnant, you are obviously protected um, under employment law. So, are you not currently protected with menopause? So, if if you're really struggling, could your company get rid of you and you don't really have any rights no so you are protected but it's not under menopause directly so the the equality act does allow for protection under age discrimination sex discrimination and also disability discrimination so although menopause in itself isn't an illness and it isn't a disability many of the symptoms because of their severity and the impact on quality of life day to day and also the fact that they can often last more than 12 months from for the purposes of the Equality Act they can be classed as a disability the problem with that is and and actually the number of tribunals employment tribunals where menopause is stated as the reason for discrimination are on the rise they're increasing year on year at, at quite a rate and that kind of makes sense because we're talking more about it there's more awareness around this so a lot of women are, are, are probably going actually I think I've been unfairly treated here because of my menopause the problem there is because it's not a straightforward yes this is protected the outcomes of those tribunals are quite varied so that it must be very difficult for a tribunal judge because they haven't got any clear sort of criteria to go by whereas if it was sex discrimination and it's you know it's quite clearly sex discrimination that's quite an easy result I guess for a judge to or an easy judgment to come to it's a little bit more difficult and I'm not an employment law specialist so I'm not talking from a place of professional expertise here but just looking at the range of different results from different tribunals there doesn't seem to be any uniformity or any standardized sort of outcomes from them so yes we have protection but not specifically in terms of it being protected as a characteristic in its own right that's really good to know though because again like it's probably one of those times that would be really stressful you might feel complete state of being lost and to know that there is sort of options for you there and ways that you can approach that topic because I think I mean we don't want to say it but I still see pregnant women being discriminated against in the workplace and so I think it is one of those things that you might be very wary um you know how do you approach that and nervous that you might be pushed out so that's that's really valuable knowledge so thank you for sharing that you're welcome I think I I was chatting to one of my colleagues um, Helen the other week and she was telling me about a conversation she'd had with uh, one of her ex-colleagues she's an ex-NHS nurse and her, her friend had said she'd finally kind of come to got the courage to talk to a manager about her menopause symptoms. And she was explaining what she was experiencing and talking to him about what might help. And apparently he was very um, supportive, very empathetic in listening. But he ended the conversation with, well, I can imagine it can be quite difficult, but you can't use menopause as an excuse for poor performance. So actually, he listened to it all, but disregarded it at the end. You know, at the end of the day, it's menopause. You can't use that as an excuse, but it's not an excuse. It's it's a reason. It's not an excuse. And for many women, it's a reason that, you know, if it was, she would, have, I think on the grounds of that, she would have very clear grounds for, you know, um, discrimination. Uh, whether she chooses to go down that route or not, I don't know, because it's actually quite, it's a big decision to take somebody to employment tribunal. Um, you know and I think ideally we want carrots not sticks let's try and get this right so we don't need to go down the tribunal route but yes Lisa Jane in in answer to your question there is protection there if somebody does feel discriminated against and I think in this lady's case she'd have a very strong strong grounds for for feeling like she'd been disadvantaged and it's comments like that 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 stop the conversation as well, isn't it? And, it is, and, yeah. And, yeah. and stop people, maybe find another way why they can't be at work or do something. Yeah. So, and now yeah. she'll start probably lying yeah. around yeah. why she's, you know, why she's taking time off, yeah. which isn't helpful to anybody. And it no, won't be helpful for her. Stress. She'll stress. Yeah. So we, um, we've got a bit of a, a theme that we're running through these podcasts. And we always like to ask our guests if they had 
a moment where they've literally just, you know, been completely shocked or had to sort of go away and laugh privately. Something that's that's happened. Uh, and I'll, I'll share the one. Our listeners have heard this a lot, but obviously we, we work in refrigeration and I had a gentleman spell refrigeration for me over the phone because he assumed as a, a woman I really probably wouldn't have any idea <laughs> how to spell it and you, you know when you're sort of saying at that, that point I've maybe been in, in the industry for 15 years and it's like I, I have been doing this for quite some time <laughs> so have you have you had any moments like that that you could share with us sort of these just yeah. like what just happened <laughs> I don't I don't I, I don't have a similar one to that but I went before I left my job. I worked for the MOD for many, many years. And I actually was one of those women that left my job because of menopause. But in the last couple of years, um, when I was really struggling with brain fog and um, low confidence, I'd gone across to our purchasing department with a purchase order to buy some metal racking. Uh, I worked in an aircraft training school and So a lot of the training was practical, like how do you repair an aircraft? So they'd ask for this metal racking so that the guys in the workshop could store all their equipment and and lock it away. So I'd gone across to the the purchasing department to put the order in, came back, met my boss. And uh, I'd not been in the job very long. So I was probably trying to impress him, show him I was on the ball because, you know, my confidence was low. I wanted to prove myself. said to him, I've just been across. I put the order in for that racking. Um, it's all looking good. And he looked at me with this blank stare. And, you know, you get those horrible kind of painful silences for a minute when you kind of think, I know something's not quite right here, but I'm not sure what. And he finally said, yeah, the racking looks great. It's made a big difference to the guys in the workshop. They, it, it's tidied everything up. And I, you know, there was like this sort of disconnect. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I've just been and put the order in. And he said, no, it arrived, it's here. It's all been fitted. And so I, in complete confusion, walked to the, the workshop and there was the racking beautifully attached to the wall, full of equipment. And my brain thinking, I can't comprehend this. I cannot figure this out. Went back to my desk, started doing a bit of... Um, research on my google history looked in all my filing cabinets and and found all of the paperwork for this equipment that i'd ordered a few weeks earlier had no recollection of it couldn't remember placing the order all of my filing was perfectly in order i'd been very efficient but the only reason i realized that i'd actually ordered it was because i went back through my google history and i'd ordered it a couple of weeks earlier and i could see the time and everything in my google history and to this day, I have no recollection of ordering <laughs> that equipment. But that was my my embarrassing moment. <laughs> Thankfully, I had time to go and cancel the next order. Otherwise, we'd have ended up with two lots. But as much as it's funny, and I look back and I did laugh. I do laugh about it. At the time, I was I, I just felt, oh my god, am I getting yeah. any onset dementia? How can I not remember placing an order? And it was quite a few thousand pounds worth of equipment. How could I not remember doing that? So the the struggle is real, ladies. Yeah, but I think <laughs> the struggle yeah, is now real. to be able to look back on it and and laugh about it. But I I spend a lot of time looking at sent emails and thinking, did I send that? Did or I, did I, I imagine it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just blame forgetfulness, but. <laughs> I also had another time when I was driving back from the supermarket with my husband in the car and I was driving, he was in the passenger seat. And as we left the supermarket, I said, I must get some fuel on the way home. And we pulled up onto our driveway. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I forgot to get fuel. It was the very thing I said. And he just looked at me and went, we've just done it. We went to the fuel station at the supermarket. So I had no recollection. It's really quite, I don't know whether to laugh or cry sometimes about the brain fog. It's frightening, isn't it? But I think (laughs) you mentioned earlier as well, one of the important, when we're having the conversations at work and around business and male or female, everyone is experiencing it somewhere with a, a, a wife, a sister, daughter, mother as well. So I think it's something that we should keep talking about and not be afraid of. I think there's also a place for humor. You know, I think we do have to kind of laugh laugh at ourselves I think there's a there's that line isn't there between laughing at ourselves and laughing at other people I don't think we should laugh at at other people unless oh it's a difficult one isn't it the whole banter thing should you or shouldn't you have a joke about it because you never know how it's going to land but 
I thought I wouldn't have got through this without humour. So I definitely think there's a place for it. Yeah. And I suppose it's knowing your environment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. In my, my previous employers, I worked, it was a small office, but it was just me and just guys. And we used to have a bit of a running joke with the men. We'd buy them tenor men for their birthday. And, you know, again, that that could be seen as harassment but it was just one of those things that we did for, <laughs> for all of them <laughs> yeah you're right you've got to know the audience you've got to know if it's going to land well or not and I think the intention is if the intention is agreed that you know it's this is just the way the banter works and there's no animosity there's no not animosity that's not the right word there's no what's the word I'm looking for no I think that there's no harm to others, isn't it? Yeah, I can't think of the word I want it. to use. No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that there's no sort of underlying ill intent that yeah. actually it is. And, and accepting that some days if we're menopausal, we might not see the funny side. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and let that go because, you know, most of the time I think we do. But sometimes, you know, they might just hit a nerve and um, just recognise that, okay, this is this is not a time to to dwell on this. Let's just move away. Did you have another another awkward question for me to answer, Lisa Jane? Or was it just that one? <laughs> no, I think we'll leave it there. But we we are we have literally, as, as we said earlier, we we could talk all day. Um, and I think this is a topic that should be explored and, and spoken about a lot more. But we we probably have come to the end of our time. So I guess just maybe if there was one bit of advice that you'd offer to to everybody perhaps not just to to women but you know if there was something that people could take away from this what would you say yeah I think I think the big thing is to not be afraid to talk about it don't keep it under the carpet you know let's let's just open up about it in life throughout our whole life we sometimes have to have awkward or uncomfortable conversations but the more you have them the less uncomfortable they they become so I think that my advice I guess would be don't don't be don't be ashamed or embarrassed to talk about it and I know that's easier said than done for a lot of women and it's perhaps not the most practical advice but talk about it talk to your partner about it talk to your kids about it talk to your friends about it and if necessary talk to your your teammates and your boss about it it doesn't have to be your personal experiences but just talk about menopause as a general topic of conversation and it normalizes it and the more normalized it is easier it is to broach something when you need a bit of help that's that is really good advice and just one one last question obviously you've been you've been generous enough to give us your time and and this is your your work (laughs) so could you just tell us a little bit about the training that you do offer um to companies if they want to support their staff going through this time of life thank you very much yes so we deliver general awareness training for all employees and they're generally sort of 60 to 90 minute virtual lunch and learn type trainings. They tend to be the most popular training. It hits a lot of people um, and raises, I guess it gets that conversation going. It raises awareness and opens the door to the conversation. But we also run more specific workshops for smaller numbers of people around. Um, so we, we have one called Supporting Employees Through Menopause, which is aimed at line managers specifically so we talk about things like employment law and reasonable adjustments and having sort of confident conversations as opposed to awkward and difficult ones we explore what managers might feel is a barrier to having conversations so it's they're they're very much more sort of discussion-based workshops we also run workshops for women experiencing menopause where we talk more about the lifestyle factors we talk about hrt we talk about how they can ask for and and get the support they need and we also run a menopause champions program. So a lot of organizations now are starting to embed menopause champions within the organization, uh, a bit like mental health first aiders, I guess. They're that sort of first port of call for somebody if they want to talk to somebody who's got a bit more knowledge. But what we found as well with our menopause champions, they're often real change makers. They're, they're the ones that are wanting to ch- literally champion menopause within the workplace. So they're advising management they're they're there as a first port of call they're they're arranging events and so we we run a a six-month menopause champions program to really equip menopause champions with the skills the knowledge and the support that they need to drive change within the organization 
And then finally, we have our e-learning. We've got a really great e-learning product. So that sits on your learning management system and it's it's about 30 minutes long. We we produced it in partnership with Channel 4. So we've uh, we've got some great little footage of Davina, Davina McCall in there sharing her story. And the idea with the e-learning is it's it's easily accessible and available to everybody on demand, which is uh, which is really great. And I also coach as well um, women who are struggling but the the main part of the business is the training so thank you very much for letting me um let me share that you've actually done that haven't you karen you've done one of the courses yes yeah um did the training course i think about six months ago and and Bev, that was when we really thought of you for this podcast because yeah i think you did the general awareness the let's talk menopause yeah sort of webinar i think it was to see so much engagement and and i just remember half an hour over the time uh, and people's individual questions and how open people were about symptoms and and HRT and sharing experiences it was it was very different to a lot of the online courses that we've done in the past that maybe sometimes finish and then you move on so yeah it was um your knowledge was fantastic in in that I think I think one of the best things around the the awareness training especially the general awareness stuff that we do the, the let's talk menopause webinars the feedback I've had from businesses is that that's actually given women within the organization enough confidence to form their own support groups within the workplace. So they'll set up perhaps a a group on Slack or on, you know, on Teams or whatever, or they'll get together in person and and run sort of menopause cafe type events. And they are organic. They just happen because suddenly it's it's been okay to talk about this. And they found other people that they've recognised are also experiencing it. And they've got together and formed these groups in the background, which is absolutely brilliant because that keeps the conversation alive, keeps things moving on. And we don't we don't necessarily facilitate that. It happens organically. Uh, we can facilitate some of that, but we don't generally need to. It happens just because people feel, actually, I'm going to do something about this and, and keep this conversation going. And very much what we wanted to do today with the Women's Network. We have lots of open conversations about these subjects like this. But yeah, just to to start to get that conversation going more as well and hopefully we've people that are listening to the podcast uh, have learned a lot really as well mm-hmm. and can go into their own companies and, and make sure that there's support and, and information so it's thank interesting you. so I know we're coming to the end of time but one of the things that I've realized over the last five years or so is that most women will cope perfectly well with menopause if they don't feel like they're going through it on their own if they're actually not feeling alienated because of it. So social support in whatever form that takes, whether that's finding a Facebook group or a a local community or a a community within the workplace, just knowing that you're not going through this on your own is really important. And am I okay to share that I have a Facebook group, that a free Facebook group that is uh, sort of available to support women as they're going through their midlife transition it's called your best midlife um and it's it's a really safe space where we've got we've just hit a thousand members now and it's it's just a really nice community where people come and share the highs and the lows it's not a whingy community it's quite an upbeat one um but that whatever wherever you need to find that social support it makes a huge difference to not feel like you're going through this on your own I'll that's be joining a bit that cheeky, group. wasn't it? Sorry. <laughs> no, that's no. great. I think anything like that, and we'll we'll share as well on on any links as well um, to get people towards that. I did see also, and I know you've you've probably been very polite not to mention it, but you also a book that you wrote as well, the business of menopause, so a guide for working women as well that I've seen there. So yeah, we can obviously share links if people are interested in in hearing more and talking more. Oh, it's it's been really really insightful, definitely. For me, and like I say, I'll be I'll be sure to um, join the Facebook community because I'm really looking, I suppose, like support and it's it's information for me as well. So to know what to expect and how to approach that topic. Yeah, like I say, it's, it's been great to have you with us today. Thank you for giving us your time. And to all our senior leaders in the industry out there that might be listening, Bev's your lady to talk to when you want to know a little bit more about the topic of menopause and menopause in the workplace. Thanks, Lisa Jane. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. 
So just for anyone that is listening as well, please come and find us at our LinkedIn group, IOR Women in RACHP. Um, help to spread the net- network, but also some of the messages that we are talking about. You will be able to download more podcasts there and keep an eye out on Podbean for what else is coming up. But also, yeah, come and see us, be part of the community, part of the conversation. And feel free to private message even myself or Lisa Jane if you do want information or want to be involved in the network more. But yeah, thanks again, Bev. Really good conversation as well. Thanks, Lisa Jane.